The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Welcome back to the Shaken and Stirred show. I'm Nigel Barker in Woodstock, and I'm with my great friend and co-host Tom Astor in Oxford. How are you, mate? Hey there, really good night. Thanks, yeah. It's not, not a huge amount of change. Here we are, literally a year later, still virtual. Still locked out, still drinking. Although, I must say, you are looking rather good, old boy. You, first of all, it looks like you've got a new sweater, which is probably the first one in a decade. And then and on top of that, you've got this unusual thing happening with your your, your um, camera on your whatever, your iPad or whatever you're using to do this Zoom, and it's creating this weird halo effect all around you, which I think is rather amazing, actually. So oh, well I done. can't put my finger on it, but I can. I could, but I won't, I won't bore you with it. Well, I actually think you might have actually put your finger on it right on the lens, in fact, and it's probably <laughs> old grubby fingers that's doing it. But I like it. It's working. Thanks, much. How are you off in the... How are you getting on up there? And... Oh, very well, indeed. Very well. You know, like the rest of the world, except, you know, it's very cold and snowy and but beautiful. It, you know, it's hard to complain. We're all healthy, which is the main thing, and it's the wonderful thing, and still drinking cocktails. In fact, I, I've got a rather good cocktail here. What are you drinking, old boy? I'm drinking a rather unusual cocktail. I was given this by my daughter's boyfriend. So I have no idea what he's done wrong, apart from dating my daughter, but he gave me a box which arrived. For those of you listening, you can't see it. It looks like something that you might feed a baby with. And it has disco cocktails written on it. It's a squinchy packet that looks like baby food, but actually it's highly alcoholic. And it can't, like, you get these sets of cocktails and whack them in the fridge unscrew the lid and you can you can either pour them into a glass or, or not mine is called and it comes in a variety of cocktails this is called the disco porn star martini and all i had to do is put a bit of ice in my glass cut a little bit of lime up get the right shaped glass and pour away and i can tell and also i haven't i haven't yet had a sip but i can tell you that that is absolutely delicious well, Tom, it's called the Disco Porn Star Martini, and it is yellow. And it's from my daughter's boyfriend. I don't know why he's giving me these things. No, anyway. well, I, I would make him drink one first, first of all, I think, just in case he doesn't actually poison you on the way. But I've actually made something a rather little different and rather fun here. I, you know, have been sort of experimenting a little bit, and I got given a, a juicer by a friend just recently, and, and it's sort of revolutionized my own personal cocktail making, because when I would buy juices in the past or try and you know squeeze a lime in with a you know with a hand squeezer or whatever, that's one thing. But clearly with a juicer, proper juicer, you can really start get sort of get to work. And I have been tr trying this Bols Geneva. Geneva, I hope I'm saying it right. Geneve. Is that how you say it? Geneve? No. Geneve. Bols Geneva. Anyway, it is really kind of interesting. It, it gets, you hear about it and people talk about it like gin, but it's really nothing like gin, in my opinion. In fact, it was first produced in 1664 and uh, traditionally drunk straight and called Dutch courage. Now we've all heard about Dutch courage when you live in England, but I spent a lot of time in Amsterdam um, and in the Netherlands, which is when I first came across this, the, the balls. And it, it's drunk very, very frequently over there. In fact, everywhere you go, it's sort of front and center on the bars, which is one of the reasons why I'm like, let me try that. I haven't had it before. And it looks like gin because it's clear, 
but actually has a very kind of malty flavor. And it was actually, it plays a large part in the history of cocktails, it turns out, in the rise of the cocktail. And in, in, in fact, in the 19th century, one in four cocktails were made with Genivert. And it has that sort of, it almost tastes almost more like whiskey, actually. It has a sort of malty, sort of smooth malty taste. And um, it's quite delicious. I actually mixed it with freshly squeezed blood grapefruit. Uh, so it's kind of like a bit like a greyhound, but with Genivert, Bon Genivert. So cheers, my friend. Can you just tell me how it's spelled? Cheers. Yes, absolutely. It's spelled, well, Bols is B-O-L-S, and then Genivert is G-E-N-E-V-E-R, like G-Never. But I don't think it's Genève. I think it's Genivert. You say Genève, and I say Genivere, Genivere, Genève, Genivere, Genève. Call the whole thing off. Anyway. Cheers, 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 cheers to you. And a little bit of booze news. A bit of booze news that you might like, actually. It's kind of amusing. And amusing, but at the same time, actually not that amusing. Quite sad at the same time. So sad and amusing, Tom. Kind of booze news we like to do over here. And um, I say sad, but it, and amusing at the same time. You'll know why immediately. Have you ever? Exp- uh, sorry, I thought you said sad and amusing. Ringing bells. Top. I thought you were basically character referencing me just now. Well, I was, but anyway, sad and amusing, which is how I like to describe you. Is it'll be written on your tombstone, old boy. So um, you must have all experienced. And it happened to me recently. This is why I, I, I was thinking about it. But when birds fly into the window, it's like a a flock of birds hit the window or a bird just randomly hits a window. It's always a bit sort of tragic, especially if they hurt themselves, but it's been happening en masse in Texas recently. Uh, In fact, to the point where it's actually made the news. And uh, these birds are um, apparently flocks of cedar waxwings who have been returning to Texas And the reason why it turns out, they've done some investigation into why they're actually hitting the glass, is because they're eating berries on trees that are fermenting and they're drunk. The birds are drunk and they're flying all over the place, flying onto people, smashing into windows, basically reeling around. And this apparently happens all over the world. Birds get drunk on the berries that ferment. And I didn't really think about that. You're nodding your head, Tom, like you already knew. Is that something that you're aware of? I'd heard about this, but what I was just thinking when he was saying that was that I only, I only had to do it once, maybe I've done it twice. I've ridden a motorbike on my farm, drunk, and it's incredibly difficult. Like walking, walking is difficult when you're, when you're very, very drunk. Riding a motorbike you think it'd be easier because you're not actually having, but no, it's really, really difficult. It should be avoided. So I was just suddenly, I was drawing the parallel with Imagine trying to fucking fly when you're pissed. Yes, no, clearly. I mean, one can hardly walk a straight line, let alone fly. No, you're going to hit a Texan. You're going to hit a Texan. Well, anyway, I just, I, I, I thought that was probably one of the most funniest sort of, but at the same time, sort of slightly tragic bit of booze news we've ever had. And um, our guest today is a Harvard grad, best-selling author, blogger, celebrity chef, who declares she's in the pursuit of good food and compliments. Sounds like you, Tom. Um, She lives in New York City with her muse, sounds like me, and is passionate about good food and bad TV. 
So clearly she must love all my shows. Anyway, please welcome Serena Wolf. How are you? Hello, thank you for having me. That was a, the best possible intro. And yes, I'm very much a fan of your shows. <laughs> well, you know what? When you define yourself as someone who likes bad television, I'm very glad that I fall into the, that particular demographic. Serena, what are you drinking, by the way? Cheers. Lovely to have you on the show. Cheers. Um, I am drinking Casa Dragones Blanco. I felt stressed because I felt like I was meant to make a cocktail, but I am more of a straight booze on the rocks kind of girl. Well, don't feel stressed. That's the last <laughs> thing we want you to feel. It's, like the f it's far from it. It's, that's the whole point. You're meant to have come on and have a drink and relax, not be stressed by the concept of the drink itself. But well, you guys know that the description is... You know, I, I feel like I'm going to be judged by my drink of choice. So I wanted to choose something, and then I was like, "Nah, never mind. We're going, we're going real and honest here." It's going to judge you anyway. That's the whole point. The entire track, <laughs> this entire adult profession has been based on this, basically judging and generally belittling. But let's say that's not the case today. Uh, no, actually, I was going to judge very heavily because that, that's rather expensive tequila as well. So, you know, are we sponsored by this tequila? What's going on with this? I mean, uh, there are other tequilas, normal, <laughs> average people tequilas, you know. This is this is not the super fancy Casa Dragones, the Hoven or whatever that's like 500 bucks a pop. We're not there yet. <laughs> this is the cheapest one that they have, but it is delicious. It is delicious. And when did you first get it? Get, get sort of get a taste for the old tequila? Because I'm a big fan as well. But and also it's a blanco. So why blanco versus I don't know resposado or anejo? Okay. Do we remember exactly when tequila hit the hit the scene and became not something that we just took shots of and actually drank? I feel like it was like three years ago. Before no, that, it was no, it was no. like Jose Cuervo in the in the club so to speak, right? Oh, I mean, I don't know. Three years ago, perhaps <laughs> for you three years ago, because I was going to say, because when it actually hit, you were probably about three years old. But I mean, I mean, that's ridiculous. Three years ago, no, 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 about a decade I ago. I feel like if you were going to a wedding, let's say, and you were going to drink accent soda, it was like a vodka soda. Nobody was ordering tequila soda or whatever. And now everybody is drinking okay. tequila. Okay, time out. At my wedding, specifically <laughs> at my wedding, we actually did tequila body shots, everybody at the wedding. And I've been married for 20 years, okay? So just let you know, all right, just put this. And, and my first kiss with my wife was a tequila body shot, hence we did them. So literally, 26 years of tequila drinking, you're speaking to someone who's basically a Casa de Dragones in person right here. Okay, good. Well, then, then you you are my people. But prior to like, I don't know, let's call it, it's all blurring together. After this year, it all blurs together. But I've been drinking tequila. I don't know. I'm a champagne and tequila person. I really am. I don't love cocktails. I love a good spicy margarita. But I've always been a clear liquor person. So like the Blanco tequilas speak to me more that I get the worst hangovers from the Reposados, like Don Julio, 1942. Love it. Can't get out of bed the next morning. Well, there you go. I, it's, it's about how much, though, Serena. I mean, clearly it's about quantities, okay? It's just, you know, I mean, uh, yes, if you're going to be drinking the whole bottle of the Don Julio 1942, you're going to wake up feeling like you're in 1942. Um, and it, it, is, it can be painful. But listen, I, let's move on from this, because I feel that we yes. can drop <laughs> down a whole of tequila nightmares, and Tom doesn't even like tequila, so he has nothing to add to this. Tom, particular. no tequila ever. I have, of course, I have, but I was so ill on it. We were talking about 
about an hour ago, actually. In my kitchen, it burst so ill on it once, it was like, I can't, but I just can't do, I can't bear it. No, I'm, I'm, I'll put off the light. So you carry on talk about tequila, because I'm sure there are going to be people out there who, who like it. I'll just... So he's great, because that just ruined our endorsement by you know, know. <laughs> every single tequila company in the world, So which were just all lined up, Tom. I mean, millions of dollars are just down the drain in one no. go. No, no, because you don't have the competition. Because what I like to do is, if I don't like something, it's a bit like Brussels sprouts, or and say <laughs> I've had this sort of dislike for a particular vegetable or an alcohol throughout my life, I make myself once a year try that particular vegetable or that particular alcohol just to check and see whether things may have changed and I may now like it. So I haven't just ruined the endorsements. What we've actually done is just put a, this competition together. So. I will try everybody's tequila. I can't guarantee I like any of it, but maybe there's one I love. Maybe there's one that just breaks through. I just like the fact that you are a sort of 50-year-old man who's basically still trying Brussels sprouts once a year to see if he likes them yet. Serena, I mean, for God's sake. Serena, I'm 48. Yeah. I'm 48. <laughs> That's just brilliant. I, I am going to now adopt Tom's philosophy on trying new things because I have not had gin. What are you, you, neither of you have said what you're drinking yet, by the way. So I am drinking a homemade cocktail with freshly squeezed grapefruit juice and Bols Genivert, which is a type of like a <laughs> Dutch gin type whiskey-ish type of thing that's been around since the 1600s uh, and was the, one of the original cocktail mixers and comes in uh, a rather sort of elegant, long, tall, dark bottle, and you get it all over Holland and um, and sort of Germany and places like that. And it's not so common in the US, although it was the number one mixer in a cocktail in the 1900s. See, this is this is why I wanted to make a fancy cocktail. <laughs> you know something? That was a really um, boring description of what you're drinking. I'm drinking something much more exciting, which I'll hold up. I'm drinking cocktails out of like baby food pouches. And as as I said earlier, we, we were having a chat. I was having a chat with Nigel, and this came up that my um, daughter's boyfriend, very kindly, I let them stay in one of my cottages on the farm the other day. He very kindly gave me a box of these things that look like baby food, but each one contains a different cocktail. So I started out with the, with the disco porn star martini. That went down quite well. I've now moved on to the. Blueberry, you literally are so faded, this stuff. It's like it, the blueberry sour, which I'll just give a benefit anyway. So I'm drinking, I'm drinking out of co my cocktails out of baby food containers, and um, I have no idea what's in them. I can't, it's so, I think it says strawberry sour. It doesn't taste anything like strawberry, so I have no idea. But anyway, cheers. Cheers, my dears. Cheers. And all I can say is, is that your daughter's boyfriend clearly thinks a lot of you, and he's getting you baby food. You know, he, perhaps he assumes that you're, you haven't got any teeth or anything. I'm not quite sure what's going on. Or, or, or work. Knowledge. Don't talk about daughters, boyfriends and babies. That's just not... That's not going to... <laughs> <laughs> Moving swiftly on, our guest, Serena Wolf. Well, I mean, come on, let's dive right into it. I want to dive... In. We got, again, Serena, look what you've done to us. You've totally sped us <laughs> off into some complete sort of wormhole of craziness about drinking and what have you. We don't talk about drinking on this show, do we, Tom? Anyway, let's get right into the, the depths of, of what you're all about. You've created this incredible blog. You are a best-selling author. You've got great books. But, I mean, I, I love the name of The Dude Diet, first of all. But before we get there, have you always loved food? And is this, I mean, you don't look like someone who eats too much. So is this, you know, is, unlike Tom and me, who clearly consume far too much, have you always loved food and cooking? 
No. So literally it is deeply hilarious to my family and friends that I have now been in the food world for a decade. Nobody in my family cooks. My mother burned things from time to time growing up. I actually thought that a lot of foods were meant to be charred on the outside. Like the first time I had like a chicken breast or a, a like actual barbecue rib that did not have a layer of char, I was like, oh, you, they, you've undercooked it. That's blackened. <laughs> That's more blackened, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Unintentionally, 99% of the time. But I... I grew up in Southern California. I had access to really wonderful food and fresh produce year round, essentially. But I had a mild, you know, existential crisis as one does at 22 and had no idea what I wanted to do. I decided to go to Cordon Bleu in Paris on a whim. Again, something that only a 22 year old does. And it's like, this is a great idea. (laughs) I really thought it was a three month adventure after graduation. I was going to come home and start my real life. And I got to Cordon Bleu in Paris, which most people, whenever somebody's like, it's my dream to go there. I'm like, is it? Have you actually (laughs) seen what it's like to go to culinary school? Because I had those same feelings thinking I was going to be roasting chickens and drinking wine and having a very, you know. Serena, is it it about the culinary school or is it about the fact that you have to deal with the Parisians? (laughs) Because they're a nightmare. Well, I didn't realize being a woman and an American that that was going to be two strikes against me out of the gate with these much older male French chefs teaching at Cordon Bleu who kept asking me if, you know, I was like there to find a husband or if I was, you know, doing wife and training stuff, which naturally pissed me off to a fair fair degree. Um, But I really didn't expect to like it as much as I did, but I realized A, I was one of the few people there who had zero experience, literally zero. And everything that you get in culinary school is in its whole form. So I'm blowtorching the feathers off of chickens and filleting fish and doing all of these things that I had, A, never done before. But I also had no bad habits to break. So I literally learned how to do everything from like pick up a knife from scratch and sort of absorbed all of those teachings pretty quickly. And I have terrible anxiety. And the weird thing about being in culinary school is it's so intense and it's so focused that having something to devote 100% of my brain space to 10 hours a day, I got really excited to feel sort of calm and connected to these recipes that I was executing and really fell in love with it. Ended up signing on to do the full diploma program there for almost a year and a half, did one term of pastry, which I absolutely sucked at. And it was just embarrassing. And so I do not bake <laughs> at all different skill sets or make flowers out of sugar, sugar sculptures or all the things that we were doing in you know the pastry course in culinary school. And then like left and started this very non-traditional career path because I knew I didn't want to go into restaurants. So that was sort of a, well, what are you going to do now? And it was when blogging was not really a thing yet. So I had started this pink blog that was domesticatemoi.blogspot.com. And I took photos on my Blackberry. Remember, Blackberries with terrible, terrible grainy photos. And everything looked disgusting. But it was a great creative outlet because it forced me to tap into what I was actually good at, which was recipe development and storytelling. So that was sort of the very beginnings of the book writing and the recipe development and private chef stage of my life. So take me back for a second here, because before we jump into all of that, 
I, I want to go back to you getting into 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 sort of cordon bleu. Is there no qualification requi- required to go to the cordon bleu? <laughs> please, <laughs> please do not. I feel like I am blowing up their spot, and they're going to come after me for saying this. Like zero qualifications. You write an essay and a check, and then you get to go. That is no, the truth of the matter. Sorry, can I say things have changed a little bit? You don't need to write the essay anymore. Nigel, even you could get in. Well, check. I mean, heck, I, I, I've always wanted to learn how to make a crepe Suzette. So yeah. maybe I should go. You know. Flambe. Well, we know how you to make just, crepe. You just pour some tequila on top of a pancake and light it on fire. That's not a Suzette. That's like a, a <laughs> Julieta, isn't it? It's going to sound a bit more Mexican than a crepe Suzette. Yeah, so we're just working with the booze that we have. There you go. Work with what you've got, Tom. <laughs> Something you've had to live with your entire life. Anyway, <laughs> Serena. So, <laughs> um, that was nice. So flashback, flash forward, okay, you, you're back in the yeah. state. But to, to jump into sort of blogging and talk about food, you were, did you, were you aware of, of a sort of a ground movement of, of, of the fact that people were, were really interested in this sort of, you know, I mean, did you set up this blog in the first place, really expecting it to be a success? Was that the... the no. The, <laughs> Nigel, I remind you of the pink background and the Blackberry photos here. I definitely did not think that this was going to be my launch pad for anything. It was more keeping in touch with friends and family at home and a creative outlet. I always liked to write, but blogging sort of started to take off. And this is obviously pre-pre-social media. So people were actually reading blogs. And I realized at the time in 2011, there were a lot of blogs that were targeted towards sort of family meals, 30-minute meals, Rachel Ray type of stuff. And then there was also the like picture-perfect Martha Stewart, beautiful, entertaining. And all of my friends, when I was in culinary school, who had just graduated from college, were texting me being like, how do I know if the chicken's cooked? I'm having my, you know, boyfriend's parents over for dinner and I don't want to kill them. And I was like, there is a hole in the market here for basically giving people fundamental cooking skills and helping them build their confidence and make food that tastes good, but isn't necessarily fussy, isn't intimidating. It was really about making it accessible and fun. And it was very tongue in cheek and sort of irreverent the way I was talking about these things and not not trying to turn cooking into this fancy presentation every time. It's like sometimes we're just trying to get dinner on the table. Are you and talking about like hacks? You're talking like cooking hacks? Some cooking hacks, but also just recipes that are accessible and are, you know, like nobody's making themselves beef bourguignon on a Tuesday night. You know, people, and and also there were people who were like, I want recipes for two people, or I'm just cooking for myself. I don't have a whole family to feed. All these recipes serve six, eight, 10 people. Um, And so I just started writing these simple recipes. And then what sort of launched my blog into like real career territory, so to speak, where people actually started reading it was I started a column called The Dude Diet that was based on my then boyfriend, now husband, Logan, who just loved food more than anyone I had ever met. So put my love of food to shame. (laughs) Like really loved food, but not fancy food and not healthy food. I'm talking cheesesteaks, chicken fingers, lasagna, like comfort food, bar food. And he was a college athlete, then post-college stopped being an athlete, had put on a few pounds, but wasn't necessarily overweight. 
also didn't think that he ate unhealthily. So we met when I was in Paris and he was in New York and we dated long distance for about a year. And every time we were together and he would eat ridiculous things in Paris or in New York, I was like, oh, he's vacation eating or he's special occasion eating because we're together. And then when we moved in together and I became privy to the day-to-day eating, I was like, oh, there are no vegetables involved. (laughs) There is buffalo sauce and cheese and bread. So it was very alarming. Isn't ketchup a vegetable? I mean, it's got tomatoes in it, right? Honestly, I would have been thrilled to see some ketchup in there besides just like Frank's red hot. But yes, it was a lot, like it was more. How did the French handle him? How did the Parisians? I'm I mean, asking this. Because I can imagine well. they must have been like horrified. <laughs> not well. I mean, all I remember from those days is he really adopted Chow as like his number one. He was like, it's a universal greeting. So he would just say Chow to all these Parisians. I was like, I'm, they do not like that. <laughs> And just be eating steak three, you know, three meals a day when we were in Paris, which I respected, to be perfectly honest. I remember living in Paris myself. I lived there for a year with my wife, who was my girlfriend as well at the time when I went when I was living there. And but I remember she, my my wife is from Alabama, and uh, she lives on the she comes from the Gulf, right on the Gulf of Mexico. And of course, they have the some of the best oysters down there. But the way they prepare their oysters in Alabama is with cocktail sauce, right? You have it on with, yeah. a, with a little sort of biscuit, like a little kind of cracker. So we, we go to Paris where, where, and we go to this fancy restaurant with oysters and all the right. She orders the oysters and they bring it with the, you know, the vinegar and the, the lemon juice. And it's, you know, yeah. she looks at that and she's like, and there's no biscuits, there's no crackers, right? It's just an oyster and then the, the, the you know, the vinegar. And she's like, um, Excuse me, you know, in her best broken French, uh, you know, with an Alabama accent, do you have cocktail sauce? And and literally, it caused a complete uproar with the waiter, the chef, everyone, the, the shaka, the, the coming to the table. Oh, man, yeah, what are you talking about? What are you? And we, we were we were they were so horrified by the concept, and I was sort of mortified, not actually by what she'd asked for, but actually it was sort of reminding me of why. I sort of so distinctly didn't didn't like the Parisians when I lived there because they can be so rude. I mean, it's shocking. Very, very judgy. I will say something that I left out of the Cordon Bleu piece is it's taught in French, right? Like I thought I spoke French when I moved to Paris. I did not speak any French. I literally like minor did it. And then I started hearing Parisians speak and I was like, I have no idea what's happening right now. And I also knew no idiomatic French. So I just sounded like a grandmother, you know, ask like, saying that I was going to go to the boom, which is like a party with nobody's used the word boom, apparently since 1950. So I had no knowledge of any of this. And so I would just, I would started to understand, you know, I understood more at school, but I just pretended I didn't speak any French because when these old French chefs would yell at you, if they thought you didn't speak French, they'd give up much more quickly. Do you know what's infuriating about that? Is firstly, there's no need, we were taught French at school. And frankly, the only reason English is now spoken in as many countries as it is is because we were best back in the day, I suppose, of hanging on to the, you know, what was the, the, the you know, our colonies, whereas the French, well, less of a good track record. All, it doesn't, you don't need to speak French. Every French person, every self-respecting French person can speak perfect English. But I tell you, yeah. the problem, <laughs> but what the French do do is when they do speak English, they just can't resist putting a very, very, very like, uh, you know, they don't need to even put that silly accent on. That is the sort of I am French. 
speaking English as opposed to I can actually speak. They don't want to admit they can speak English, but they can all speak it better than, as, as well as their own language. There we go. I've got the French. Or, or find a way to shame you. I would try so hard and, you know, ask where the bathroom was, all of these things that I knew how to say in French, and they'd be like, upstairs to the left. You know, and uh, you're like, I'm trying here. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> trying is not good enough. You go in and you'd ask for a croissant. Un croissant, s'il vous plaît? Look at you and be like, a, qu- a croissant? And then look at you again, and then you'd be like, uh, un croissant, <laughs> s'il vous plaît? And you're like, wait a second. If I was asking for a piece of bread, and I go, a piece of bread, or I go, piece of bread? Or, I, I mean, but the bottom line is, I can say it in any ridiculous way I want, and an English person would be like, okay, I understand what he wants. Yeah. You know? But they're, they're like, oh no, unless you say it in exactly the right way with the exact pronunciation, with the accent and then all the rest of it, it's like, and then the hand gesture and everything else. And I'm like, oh, oh, oh. you know, anyway. <laughs> have, you, have you ever read any David Sedaris books where he like is living in France and he always gets two of everything because he can never remember if the words are masculine or feminine. <laughs> he doesn't want to get yelled at. So he just gets de poulet. The baguette, like whatever it is that he doesn't have Perfect. to use. That, that, would, that would probably <laughs> result in what the reason why we look the way we do. Exactly. Anyway, sidetrack, sidetrack from the dude diet. But long story short, I realized that he was not eating any vegetables or lean meats or whole grains or any of these things. And every time I mentioned that he needed to eat a little bit more healthily and not from a, in a shaming way, just like I'm concerned you're not going to make it past 35. He would sort of panic and be like, I don't like healthy food. I'm not, I'm not going to eat crap. Like what I was like, nobody's asking to be vegan <laughs> or any of those things. I'm just asking that you eat a vegetable. And basically I just started making these meals that he loved and not trying to trick him, just making them and making healthier versions of them by adding in more vegetables or leaner meats or whole grains. Same things we just talked about, chicken fingers, lasagna, cheesesteaks, all of these things. And he loved them. And afterwards I would be like, oh, there was cauliflower in this, or there's portobello mushrooms in the cheesesteak. And he'd be like, I knew there was something different, but there's no take backs on the compliments. They had already been received and noted. And so I wrote a one-off post on my blog, which again, not many people were reading at the time, called The Dude Diet and sort of told this backstory on Logan and how I was getting him to eat more healthily without forcing him to because he was enjoying it so much. And I always say there was an overwhelming response. And by that, I mean, I got basically five emails from people being like, is this a real diet? Should I do it? I was like, I've made it. (laughs) This is my thing now. (laughs) I must make the dude diet. I was like, it's not a real diet, but it could be. It's common sense. But (laughs) for a lot of people, I realized that especially at the time, talking to Logan about nutrition, I think women, for better or for worse, are bombarded with information about nutrition their entire lives. And men just don't receive the same level of nutrition information. And so I started writing these posts every week and sharing these healthier recipes. And what was awesome was it was a lot of men who were following along and making these recipes, but it was a ton of women who were just like, I too enjoy buffalo chicken tenders and I would like to eat more of them. So thank you for these healthier recipes. And at the time I was cooking for a couple guys on the New York Giants and that it was sort of the same philosophy. They were very helpful in sort of testing these recipes because they were not looking to eat 
Michelin starred meals. They just wanted to eat things like enchiladas, and, you know, steak and potatoes that actually had some extra nutritional value. So my first book was called The Dude Diet, came out in 2016. And then the sequel, The Dude Diet Dinner Time, came out last year. And it was basically, it ended up being a family book. It ended up being, you know, it, dude is traditionally gendered, but I'm from Southern California. I call everyone dude. It's more of a mentality to me. It's somebody who's laid back, who doesn't want to spend hours and hours in the kitchen, who doesn't want to feel intimidated or have, you know, the Parisian sense of condescension based, like baked into their meals. And for me, having gone into culinary school, like I said, with no background and having sort of learned the fundamentals from scratch, I think it's really uniquely instilled this ability to teach others these skills from scratch in a way that makes sense and doesn't feel overwhelming or intimidating. I love it because I, I hear about it and it sort of, it makes me realize that men are basically like just small children. You know, that we, we, Children's cards and men's cards are very similar. You know, there's Tom is drinking his cocktail out of a small packet <laughs> um, that is like pure, pure food. It's a baby food packet. Look, those are the things that they buy. I don't know if you get them in America, but over here, that is, you find a bit of sludge in that and tip it down your three-year-old's throat. That is the male, basically how to feed a, your baby if you're... The dad. That is that is in fact the dude diet cocktail variety is what you're yeah. drinking, man. It's what's happening. It's what's going on. It's everything, and it's even better. It doesn't even come in a bottle or a can. It comes in a squeegee bottle, so you can you can't even go wrong. You can just sort of squeeze it all over. Yeah, all right. I, can't even get the, I can't even get the we can't even get the copyright for that concept of the dude diet. That is the, basically if you can get all your food on one of those and just put the dude diet on it. Every male, every male would A, understand what it was. It's a food substance, okay? It would say dude diet or, or whatever, you know, for your husband. You can basically make grown-up versions of these. I want to something here. Hey, he, he wants to have dinner. He does. He's not going to space. It's not a bloody ast astronaut, for God's sakes. But that's but what I'm like, that... Tom, can, to, can Tom put me in touch with his daughter's boyfriend so we can discuss this in more depth? I can try and arrange that. I'll get him to listen to our podcast. That sounds extremely unlikely on all fronts, actually. So do diet, again, just sort of that, that, the whole concept of guys, but then you're saying bigger than, broader than guys, because clearly everybody sort of wants in on this. But it does come from the fact that so many people poorly, but, but you know, enjoy this sort of junk food and how you squeeze in something good on the side, right? And how do you up the ante and... and you know, introduce a vegetable that sort of masquerading as something else, maybe in, in something like a burger. Yeah, and also make it so that you don't have to live your life restricting entire food groups or giving up things that you actually love because I don't think that's sustainable long-term. Every time I see a diet go mainstream and we see something different, you know, every six months or so, like clockwork, the past few years, keto, paleo, all these things, which I, my philosophy in cooking and in life is you do you. So if that works for you, awesome. But for the majority of us, I don't think it's realistic to commit to something like keto for the rest of our lives. I just can't picture any of us being 80 so and sitting at the table and having somebody be like, oh, would you like this fresh warm baguette? And saying, oh, no, 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 I'm keto. I just, I, I can't fathom it. Or exercise. Or exercise. <laughs> yes. Too. I just can't imagine living my life without things like pizza or a burger or chicken fingers. And yes, 
moderate all things in moderation including moderation but you can have the real thing as well if you want to go to town on a pile of you know deep fried bar wings from time to time great but on the tuesday night you can have a baked wing that's crispy and delicious and hits the spot but isn't going to make you wake up the next morning feeling absolutely terrible you know what is it about moderation you say moderation but i looked at your instagram account serena and there are, there's more than one picture of a pizza is all I'm saying. There's like, this is, this I, is so... I got the wrong Instagram account. I'm like, wait a second. It's, it's like a pizza Instagram or something. I'm basically, I am basically trolling my entire Instagram community with this pizza because I have, I grew up every Sunday. My family had pizza. It was just a tradition that I then carried on my own through college, through my two years in Paris moving home I then imposed it on Logan and I want to say six years ago or so we started going to this place in New York in Soho called Ruby Rosa on Sunday nights we sit at the bar we get the same pizza every week some people call that boring I call it comforting (laughs) but I started posting a picture of this pizza and then it became a joke like people would be worried if I didn't post the pizza they wouldn't know what day it was every seventh picture is the pizza which is absurd but since March when the pandemic hit, we had to start recreating it at home. So there was this whole many months process, many failed kind of shitty looking pizzas, to be honest, but we've gotten better and better at it. And now we're, you know, we're hoping one day to get the real thing again. But now this place makes pizza kits, not sponsored, but anybody who wants a Ruby Rosa pizza kit, you can now order them. And so now our pizza is like substantially now better. Wishing but yes. you paid more attention to your cordon bleu <laughs> pastry baking <laughs> moments, aren't you? Right? Very much, very much. But that's the thing. It's like for me, I want to eat p- real pizza on Sunday, not a cauliflower crust pizza, not a gluten-free nonsense. I want real cheese and pepperoni and all of the, those things. And it doesn't, kill you like that's the thing is that I feel like when you have your real pizza then I don't crave it all the time I also have a weird thing for gummy bears and it's like if you actually eat gummy bears like a few gummy bears whenever you want gummy bears you don't sit down and eat the entire three pound bag of Haribo because you haven't had it in months and months and months because you told yourself you couldn't see Tom that's what you shouldn't have done (laughs) I do you just said you didn't I do I'm sorry I'm really sorry I didn't know I, I can literally eat three packets of Haribo. I mean, there is nothing better, truly. A hundred percent. I mean, I, I, I don't go near the damn things because I know they're addictive <laughs> and, and, and actually evil. Those little bears, they're, they're know, actually evil. Do you know, Serena, I'm very glad that you, that you haven't, we have a guest on recently on one of our podcasts who, was, who kept talking, who's in your line of work, as a result, I really I live in fear that you're going to start that you might have come on tonight and started using the same expressions that he had. What the worst of which I'm going to say it once, and I swear to God, I'm just I'm going to say it once because I'm so pleased that you haven't said it yet, and I hope you're not going to say it. Oh God! <laughs> when he was talking about all the stuff you've been talking about, which I agree with and I love, and I'm completely on your I'm with you on this one. He kept talking about leaky gut so much so that Nige decided to go and um actually put it out there on Instagram, the leaky gut thing. But he kept talking about leaky gut and it was to do with grains and he got very, very and, and, and his science all added up. And it all everything he said added up. And it, it didn't add up to what you're discussing now, which is sounds like fun. Dr. <laughs> Joffrey, who we had, who, who was like, get off your acid, get off your sugar, get off your stuff, get off whatever. Get off your wife. I don't know, whatever it is. Um, he, 
It wasn't a fun. Get off your sofa. <laughs> in case anybody has not guessed, though, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> no, 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 but I'm, I'm enjoying your um, dietary advice much more. No, I loved it. I loved it specifically, Serena, when you said, you know, and all that gluten nonsense. You know, and I, I, at that point, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. All, for all of you out there, a little disclaimer that if you are gluten free and actually have a sort of deathly allergic reaction to <laughs> yeah. gluten, you may not want to do this. Bad luck. So, this is my opinion, though, in that there are people with legitimate allergies, people with celiac, people who genuinely feel better when they don't eat gluten. Now, I would never suggest that we're all sitting around eating, you know, loaves of bread and having pizza every day and pasta and all those things. But if you don't have an allergy... By the way, Serena, you can't walk it back. You can't walk it back. <laughs> okay, it's done. Right? And by the way, so, like, the by the way just podcast. edit all that out that she just said there. So there's no disclaimer or all the rest of it. Anyway, I, 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 we're all with you on this. We we needed to even the, the keel here. We were like, enough of all this, how to behave and all the rest of it. We're going to have damn the description, the description of the podcast is now going to be like, Serena Wolf, shame celiac, promotes Haribo binges. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we need a cocktail with those little bears in it, I think is what we need. Do you know that you can soak gummy bears? Like, this is actually a segue into what I was hoping to talk about. You can soak gummy bears in vodka or tequila and they like quadruple in size and then you can eat them. <laughs> Just. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Booze news, people. Booze news, courtesy of Serena Wolf. I love it. We will be doing that. That should have been my cocktail for tonight. I should have just oh. showed up with like three vodka soaked gummy bears. My son, my 11-year-old son this Christmas bought a girl at school. They all had to do Secret Santa things. And he bought, he was giving us guns. He bought her a gummy. He went online and he made me buy him a giant gummy bear, which, as is so often the case with Amazon products, one doesn't look at the sizes. So when this thing arrived, it was actually not as huge <laughs> as I thought it was going to be. Therefore, if you're, what you're saying is if I just chucked it into a tub of vodka, <laughs> I mean, it would have been obviously inappropriate yes. for another. Oh, it would have been go <laughs> Ghostbusters size, mate. It would have walked down the street. Yeah. So exciting. I'm so excited. Now this is the sort of this is the sort of nutrition podcast I love. You chuck gummy bears into alcohol and they triple in size. That is better yeah. than leaky gut. Now who, no one's gonna tell me that's not better than leaky gut. Nice. Wait, did, leaky the, did the leaky gut guy have a cocktail? Yes, but it was called leaky butt. And that's a completely <laughs> word, you know. It was going nowhere at all. Um, he, yeah, he did have a cocktail. He had a cocktail with some acid-reducing powder, which he put in it. I've yet to try that particular mix, but we. But I highly recommend all of it. I am equal opportunities, and I love it all. Uh, you know, like you said, one style does not fit all. One size does not fit all. And um, yes, moving as far away from leaky guts and butts and everything oh, else as, can, as fast as we can. I want to talk about her muse. She keeps talking about this man, this husband. He's written books about him, for God's sakes. He's like, he's clearly not, you know, and I want to know, like, what does he do, for God's sakes, other than be your muse? So Logan works in healthcare investing. We are essentially, like, have completely different types of brains and yet have the same sense of humor, which I think is probably, arguably, the most important thing in our relationship. But we met, funnily enough, through my best friend um, who was friends with Logan outside of me 
I never really believed in fate and I don't, I'm, a, I'm also like a child of divorce. I don't think there's one person for everyone, but the circumstances under which I met Logan. Logan. <laughs> I'm deeply obsessed with Logan and he is definitely the one for me, but we met because my best friend got laid off, came to Paris to stay with me for a couple weeks. Logan was supposed to go to a conference in London, decided to go to Paris by himself for the weekend, which is kind of random. Knew that my friend was in Paris, asked to meet up. Keep in mind, I was 22 at this point, And we had been out all night the night before she was like I want you to meet my friend he's in Paris can we meet him for a drink and I was like "Mm, I'm not in a position to meet a new person right now like (laughs) I really need to be alone today and she was like well you know we'll meet him for one beer and then we'll ditch him so we met him for one beer I thought he was super nice it was my roommate's birthday that night. We're like, we have to go. We were going to Buddha Bar, which really speaks to the times. <laughs> um, so I was like, we are going to my friend's birthday. It was lovely to meet you. We'll give you a call if we're out later. And then my roommate, being the most wonderful human alive, says to my best friend, like, where's your friend? I included him in our dinner reservation. He doesn't know anyone. Like, he has to come to my birthday, which, again, I'm like, you're very nice. I'm not the type of person you would have done. He shows up at dinner. I mean, to this day, he will be like, she was staring me down at dinner. She was laying the groundwork. I was not. (laughs) We were at Buddha Bar. I mean, I don't think anybody's fallen in love with Buddha Bar. But we ended up having a night, all of us together. Uh, The next day, he came and took my best friend and I to dinner. He brought me flowers and Gatorade, which to a 22-year-old is ultimate romance. And then. He went to London and sent this wild email to my best friend who he must have known that she was going to forward this email to me. But basically being like, I can't stop thinking about Serena. I I know that she lives in Paris and I live in New York and this is ridiculous, but you're her best friend. Do you think I should pursue this? And I happened to be coming to New York like two weeks later. We went out to dinner and then that was kind of it. And then we dated long distance until I graduated. And then I came home and moved in with him. And he inspired the dude diet. He now, he doesn't really cook, but he got this thing called the big green egg. I don't, I'm sure there's somebody that's going to be listening to this that is aware of it. It's a, it's a cult. <laughs> I'm actually, I actually bought one for a friend. It's, it's, they are the best, the be- Tom, this is like a, a barbecue smoking machine. That is sort of revolutionary. They're not cheap, FYI. They're a bit on the costly side, but clearly she likes expensive tequilas and her expensive grills. This is this is not your average grill, people. So be careful when you look at the price tag on this particular green egg. It doesn't sound like a green egg at all. It's like a Fabergé cooking egg um, of sorts, but it's good. But it's very intense. And people, he's been wanting one for years. And then I cracked and I gave him one for Christmas and it's now all he cares about. I just like the use of the word cracked and the green egg all in one. Yes, yes, I just snagged that in there. But again, still, he's my number one recipe tester. What is wild to me is we got married three years ago, but um, (laughs) I got my first book deal two years before we got engaged. So it was wildly ambitious to write an entire book based on a boyfriend. You know, like I knew in my head that this was it, but people were like, wow, this is pretty risky. What if you guys break up and there are all these pictures of him? 
<laughs> all these stories. You, you get, you're wrong, though, on the other hand, because think about, would there be a single good song written about anyone if it wasn't about heartbreak and breaking up with girlfriends? I mean, on boyfriend. I mean, literally every song out there written by any great musician is written about the, the breakup and the heartbreak <laughs> and the lover and, and everything else. I mean, that's literally history. It's like, and every poet out there, it's about broken hearts and what have you. I mean, I, at least you didn't get dude tattooed on your body, did you? <laughs> No, thank God. But we're married now, so if I had, you know. You know, nice, nice to say it goes, there was a song about, you know, what I think about, what I'm thinking about, and I'm a songwriter, I'm a musician, <laughs> all I'm thinking about is smoking, crack, and eggs. So, you know, nice said the other, nice said a minute ago, it's so weird, we're just talking, talking about cracks and eggs. Uh, I, you know, it's like, well, you can say crack and smoke, you know what I mean? Where are we going with that? Anyway, so no, nice. Sorry, you can write songs about all sorts of things. I'm also talking about drugs, but you know, in the singer-songwriter thing, you know, smoke, smoking, eggs, and cracking. You know, you were talking about this earlier. Did, are you lost? Am I? I'm completely lost. And what I love is the you fact. Know why? That this is what happens when Tom has had about nine, nine of his drinks. Rina, do you know why? Because I'm on. I've been doing. You know, I love it when he when he rubs his eyes. You know, you're in trouble. Well, the great thing is he's three two thousand miles away. <laughs> you know how babies you can give them one of these and they just want another one. Yeah, I'm, I'm afraid during our podcast. I mean, it's like I didn't know how. I wasn't quite sure how much was in them. But anyway, that's if I'm not making any sense now, it's because the the um. Yeah, it, basically, it's like crack, Tom, to a baby. That 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 you're just like cracking I, eggs. And listen, I'm very very happy that you're not making any sense at all. But you know, that's one of the great things about the Shaken and Stirred podcast is that it really doesn't matter whether you're making no sense whatsoever. Hey, listen, Serena. Before we move on, I, I want to. You mentioned something earlier, right at the top of the conversation, where you mentioned the anxiety. You know, not to change the tone too much because we're having so much fun, but I do think it is important, and I. I myself happen to also get anxiety once in a while. And I think there's a lot of people who you'd be surprised get anxiety, even when they're in public speaking positions and what have you. And yes. I want to know yourself, because you don't strike me as being someone who potentially is anxious, but then perhaps people probably say the same thing about me, right? But in what capacity do you do you feel it? And, and how do you handle it? I oddly, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? So looking back at my childhood and college where I did not have anxiety. By the way, you can, never say, you can never say 2020 ever again in a good way, right? So <laughs> no. It's ruined that. <laughs> That's true. 2020 That's true. is now shit. Scratch that, scratch that from the record. <laughs> but I look back at sort of my childhood and think like, oh, I didn't have any anxiety then. But I think it was, I, chan I was always super type A and very academic. And I think I channeled all of that nervous energy into school. And then when I graduated, I had my first panic attack the week of my college graduation. And to me, that's very clear. It was sort of the, I have nowhere to channel this energy now. I don't know what's going to happen. For me, anxiety is very much triggered by the unknown, which it is for a lot of people. You know, the antidote to anxiety is essentially living in the present, which is very difficult for anxious people to do. It's very easy to spiral into the what the future might hold, right? So I had my first panic attack that graduation week in college. And then I had several more panic attacks over the course of that next year. And then basically I started working with a therapist, 
making some what, lifestyle changes. What is a panic attack for you? For me, it essentially feels like I'm dying. It is ridiculous to say, but I know a lot of people who have had panic attacks before and they're like, oh yeah, sure. The first time I had one, I literally went to the hospital because I thought I was dying. But, you know, my heart rate speeds up. I can't get a deep breath. I feel sort of nauseous. Everything's tingling. It feels like you're literally going to die. Some people say they feel like they're having a heart attack. You know, they're hyperventilating, all of these things. Everybody, And also, if anybody's listening, I don't want to trigger anyone by des- describing that. But I basically then, after that first year when I, I worked on sort of getting a handle on these panic attacks, now I have more generalized anxiety. I'll have an occasional panic attack. But for me, it's very physical. Like, my anxiety is physical. Sometimes it's, you know, I'll fixate on something and it will be a spiraling thoughts like did I say this the wrong thing and is that does that person hate me now and whatever that's a lot of some people have anxiety that's primarily anxious thoughts but for me a lot of times I'll feel completely fine but I will have physical sensations where my chest is super tight and it will sometimes come out of nowhere I'll be walking to the grocery store and I'm like oh wow I feel super weird right now And I know it's anxiety and anxiety is also very much a chemical thing. So there's a lot of shame surrounding anxiety. And my favorite thing is if you, just like I did this conversation, not intentionally, but sometimes it'll just, I'll just mention it. I'll be like, oh, I was feeling anxious or whatever. Somebody I was talking to last year had the best response to it. And I was like, oh, like what's your anxiety flavor? And I loved the way he phrased that because I was like, oh, I'm, I'm a physical person I'm the you know can't breathe chest tightness and he's like ah interesting I'm I'm more of the should I ever socialize again because I've humiliated myself in this in this social scenario and like everybody hates me and I'm a failure and all these things I was like ah that's another very interesting flavor and I think anxiety is so different and everybody's management strategies are very different as well I'm not a big meditator but I do a lot of things for example I will chop veggies into really teeny tiny pieces when I feel anxious I'll be like I'm gonna make a soup and I'm gonna I'm gonna do some cooking meditation or I do a lot of yoga which again you can't really focus on anything other than doing these weird poses I read a lot which forces me to be focused on one thing and so I now have sort of a more holistic approach to anxiety not that there's any shame in taking medication either I feel like that's really important to to say I took I went on medication the first year I was diagnosed with anxiety because I like couldn't get things under control. But I think there's a weird narrative societally that if you have anxiety, you are suffering in some way and cannot be successful and happy and have, you know, good relationships and a, you know, happy career and all of these things. And I don't see why having anxiety and being successful and happy are mutually exclusive. And so I started, I have a podcast called Spiraling that talks all about this. I talk about my anxiety really openly because that is always my goal. To be like, you can have a really wonderful life and also have anxiety. It's just one small thing about me. What was your anxiety podcast called? It's called Spiraling. I'm a big believer in synchronicity. I really am. And and uh, this is no joke. Before I came on this, because it's 10 o'clock at night here, I had dinner before this evening, at 8 o'clock this evening with a friend of mine. And we were having conversations about anxiety. And the conversation was about when I went to Spain with him. He's a good old childhood friend of mine. And we traveled to Spain, and it was about his panic attacks. And he used to have panic attacks, and I witnessed them close up. And we were discussing anxiety, panic attacks, 
and whether or not you could medicate your way through them or whether or not you could like to go the psychoanalytical route through them with them. We got very involved in this conversation. And then I got literally a sort of 10 minute, I looked at my clock and I was like, I gotta go do this podcast. <laughs> and, and I had to, I, I promise you, I swear to God, this is one of the most bizarre things, and this is where I why I believe in synchronicity. I, I came out here, got on the podcast with you, and you are you are having a conversation. You're telling me about anxiety and panic attacks. And it's a it's a repeat of a conversation I had an hour ago with this great friend of mine who's always suffered them, and whether you could, you know, whether you can medicate or whether you can cut, how, how do you get out of them? And then I was, you know. And it's, I find it very, very odd an hour later that I'm having exactly the same conversation with somebody, you, who's, who's had exactly the same things as my friend. And I've watched him. I have watched it happen. And I've watched him, you know, he's an erudite, lovely, warm, highly intelligent, well-read, you know, and, and just suffers these things that you just don't know when they're going to come. You just don't know why they're going to come. You don't know when they're going to come. And but God, you're, you're frightened of when they are going to come. And I think that's part of it too. The last thing that you said, you're frightened of when they are going to come. And like part of having any sort of anxiety disorder is you're sort of always anxious about when the anxiety is going to come. So learning to let go of that anticipatory anxiety was the biggest thing for me. And it took, I mean, now I can talk about it easily, but for years, I really how, how did didn't. You do it? Sorry, how did you do it? How did you do that? So it was a combination of things. Therapy is super helpful. Self-talk. I always feel weird talking about this because it sounds a little weird, but learning to literally talk to yourself and not out loud, like standing in front of the mirror being like, you are no longer going to be anxious. But when you're, for example, walking to the grocery store or I teach virtual cooking classes now, and I've, I've had a few like during class and I have no fear of public speaking, like that's not a trigger for me. But I'll be talking and you sort of have this mental, like, I'm freaking out. I might, I'm sort of on the border of a panic attack. And in your head, you have, like, can create a narrative where you literally are saying to yourself, like, you're okay. You're having a little bit of anxiety. You're not going to have a full-blown panic attack. You've been here before. I think what it is, is recognizing it. Because the first time it happens, you're like, what is happening? Like, I am dying. I have to go to the hospital. The more it happens the more you can recognize those feelings and say to yourself, you have been here before, you always come up the other side, it can't last, your body physically can't stay in a state of panic for longer than a certain amount of time. So you're like, just ride it out, you're about to come out of this at some point. And that's actually really comforting instead of fighting it and just sort of leaning into the feeling because when you're fighting it, you're actually putting your body more into that like panic mode. Is that CBD? I mean, is that cognitive behavioral? Not CBT therapy. I thought you said CBD for a second there, and I do take CBD. (laughs) I meant cognitive behavioral therapy. Yes, it's like a, it's, I didn't do formal CBT, but I did do like sort of a version of it with my therapist. And yes, that's a very common tactic in in CBT therapy. What helps you most? To come to terms with with this panic, these panic times, the anxiety. I think it's mostly, honestly, conversations like this, where it just kind of normalizes it. It's like this one thing doesn't have to define me. It's just like one small part of who I am. Sometimes I have a panic attack. I'm like, oh well, you know, it doesn't mean that I have to look at myself as damaged or broken in some way, because that's really not the case. Like I don't wake up every day being like. Uh, like another day in the life of an anxious person. Like some days are great. Some days are not so great. 
And I think also certain lifestyle tweaks, like I didn't exercise for a long time and I now exercise every day, not for a crazy amount of time, just like 20 minutes of movement, which again, it's sort of like diet. Like, I don't think anybody's going to go to the gym for an hour every day for the rest of their lives. I do think it's realistic. Nigel will, seriously. <laughs> I agree with you. It's insane to think that, but I promise you, he will. Anyway. I do a lot of strange things. I do a lot of extraordinary weird things like eat healthy food um, and go to the gym once in a while. You know wait, what I mean? But wait, but go back to, do you think, given as somebody who has anxiety from time to time, does your regular trip to the gym, do you think that that helps keep your anxiety in check? Because I think exercise is such a huge component. 150%. So in, in other words, you know, I feel that there is a sort of an element of if you have, if you can imagine, you know, when you have an anxiety attack, it feels like roaring adrenaline going through your system, so much yeah. so that it's fight or flight, and you feel that you can't control it. So when you go to the gym and you work out, one of the things it does is it actually expends a lot of your your, your adrenaline that you have in your body. So your testosterone, your your adrenaline, a lot of your hormones that create that, like sort of, I'm going to run. I'm gonna, you can't because you're tired. You've worn it out. You've burnt it up. So there's an element of all of that. And also it gives you a quiet time often when you're working out when it's just you yes. and you can talk to yourself. You can meditate in its own way. And there's something very repetitive about working out, which often people find boring, but just like meditation is about sitting still on a, on a cushion and perhaps thinking when you're rowing and you're doing the same maneuver over and over again or something, it actually has the, mon the monotony of it helps you steady the mind. And so there are lots of aspects like that. And I agree hundred percent. I mean, it's for one of the, for me, it's one of those things where, and I, I liked it when you sort of said it can kind of come out of nowhere and I can actually be walking the dog down the street with not a single person in sight and have a slight panic attack and for no reason whatsoever. And I don't yeah. really know why I'm, my heart's racing and I, it's almost like I, not that I'm going to black out, but it, no, I, it's like the tunnel vision, tunnel vision and, and yeah. like a slight flash of light or something can happen. And you're like, and you're the same thing. I say to myself, you've been through this before you've done this. Yeah. And I think it first happened to me about 15 years ago, I think when I was actually doing a book, tour and I don't know what it was because I like I've been on television all, for a decade I've done many different things and I still public speak all the time but it was you know something about for that moment in front of all these people and I literally forgot what I was going to say where I was what was happening and I was just I looked at the crowd and I was almost like oh god what I don't like can I just be swallowed up and I don't know what was happening I was in the middle of a conversation and I couldn't remember what I just said, where I was at, and my heart was pounding in my chest, and I would sweat, you know, and I was like, <gasps> and I just remember one of my friends in the audience who looked at me, and it's as if he knew what was yeah. happening. And I don't know why, and I had never spoken to him about it, and he looked at me, and he just went, you can do this, like that with his eyes. And, and I just was like, <gasps> and then it all came flooding back, and I was fine. And, it's, and then I was like, and now to your point, I have management tools. Like, it still can happen once in a while, and you're, and you're like, like you said, you talk to you talk yourself through it. You're like, I can do this. I've been there. I can get through this. And you just power through it and you calm down. You have a glass of water for a second. You have a sip of water. Yeah. You give yourself a moment and you kind of play it out. And it's kind of like, you know, like it's going to go. And like you said, it doesn't last forever. They only last. It's like a sort of a high that has a, mm -hmm. it'll hit you. It'll only rise and only be there for a couple of minutes. So you kind of like, if you can play through it and then you surf down. It's like going up a wave. Yes. And then, ooh, I'm going to go down. Yes. It's literally 
physically exhausting. Like after I have a, an episode like that, I feel so tired. But it's just one of those things too, where everybody experiences it slightly differently. So everybody's management and coping strategies are going to be slightly different. And I think the more people talk about it like this, the more normalized it becomes for people to say, oh, I have these weird feelings sometimes. And it doesn't mean that I'm crazy or like this is a mental health death sentence. In my case, terrible. I, so I came out of dinner talking to my friend, I've known him for years. And I wouldn't normally, I, I totally understand what he's going through, but I don't understand it because I have the same things happening to me because I've no, I haven't suffered panic attacks. Since pre-teens, I haven't felt panic or anxiety. You or actually that. need to be sober to have a panic attack, Tom. No, 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 I, no, no, no I, I was joking about this. Look at the size of these food things. And actually, it's like having a shot, crazy. Anyway, no, the thing is, it's not... Um, I talked to my friend, and it, it's just the most debilitating and horrible, horrible thing. And all I can say is, listening to Nige talk about how the gym has helped him, it's probably the one time in any interview that anyone's going to turn around and say... Well, maybe a bit. Of, wouldn't mind the old, old bit of anxiety rubbing off on me if it meant that I'd go to the gym <laughs> and feel better. But I, it's I can't. <laughs> there you that, go. And that's what we do. That note, we make fun of everyone, no matter what they are, and actually wish <laughs> wish ailments upon ourselves yes. so we can go to the gym. Serena, before we let you go, we have something on the Unshaken and Stirred called Last Orders, which is a little rapid fire. Ooh, okay. We, Throw it out at you, but we, it's very easy. And, and I, the first question I got for you is: we, we'll, we'll go easy on you at the beginning. <laughs> What's your go-to herb or spice? Okay, herb cilantro. Unpopular opinion, but I love it. Spice smoked paprika. Mm, okay, smoked paprika. What makes you laugh? Literally everything. <laughs> I'm a very easy laugh. That is, I like to think one of my best qualities. It makes people feel very funny. What gets your goat and what floats your boat? On a superficial level, cold shoulder tops really get my goat. <laughs> and what floats my boat? Bubble bath. I'm, yeah. I'm a shameless bubble bath taker. You know, I haven't had a bubble bath in years. I'm going to have to go take one. It's worth it. Or <laughs> yeah, have more children. But that's not going to float my boat, mate. No, but it's going to have, it's going to mean you've got bubble bath in the house. Oh. <laughs> In the movie of your life, who would you have play you, Serena? Oh, how does one choose this without, like, making them, you know, obviously, are we choosing somebody based on personality or looks? Dead or alive. It could be anything you want, anyone you want, dead or alive. And most people choose the most good-looking, handsomest, most perfect actor ever. But then we get other people who say all kinds of things, actually. Choose me. Like, just purely from a personality and acting standpoint, Alice and Jenny. Love it. Okay. But, like, but, like, from a superficial perspective, I would love, like, a Margot Robbie. <laughs> uh-huh. There you go. True colors shown. I didn't know the first person you mentioned, so I can get excited. But Margot, Margot Robbie, my girlfriend loves her. We all love her. <laughs> we all love her. Sitting right there, and she does. And she's nodding, going like. <laughs> yeah, she's also a feeder, by the way, by the looks of things. But we, you know, anyway. Final question: oh God. Shaken or stirred? Shaken always. Shaken always. There you go. Love it. Thank you so much, <laughs> Serena Wolf. And you can find Serena Wolf on Instagram at Ser- Serena G Wolf. There's a little G yes. in there. Yes, very and, important um, with the G. And um. 
domesticate-me.com, domesticateme.com, right? And uh, where else can people find you? You can also find me on my podcast, Spiraling, or come to one of my virtual cooking classes, but you can find all of that information on domesticate-me.com. And my books are wherever books are sold. We love it. We will be getting our dude diet on. Also, thank you. By the way, the other thing is, and we quite like to put this out, thank you on behalf of all those people and friends of mine who have been in a situation like you have. Thank you for being so candid about what it feels like to have anxiety and, and the panic attacks. Because actually, people don't talk about this enough. And if it becomes normalized, and I've never, by the way, I've never, ever heard Nige ever make reference or discuss or talk about the fact or allude to the fact that he's ever suffered from anxiety attacks. This is the first time I, as his friend of how, how well, we've known each other since we were 14, first time I've ever known that he has actually suffered a panic. This is why this stuff needs to be talked about. You know, it's because Tom, you know, unlike I, other people, I don't like to talk about myself. And, um, <laughs> and um, you know, and I, I love the fact that he's trying to be sincere at the end of this podcast, Serena. It's very, it's, it's very sincere of him because, you know, after he wished anxiety upon himself only to go to the gym, we are now turning the tables completely. Well, there is a happy ending and a, and a silver lining to everything. And most importantly, Serena Wolf, thank you so much. And please thank Logan for sharing you with us for this drink and this cocktail. We really appreciate it. Cheers, my love. Cheers. Thank you. It's a pleasure. All the best. Good luck with everything. Thank you. Good night, guys. Good night. night. Thank you very much for listening. That is Shaken and Stirred. We will be back next week with another podcast and another fantastic guest. And uh, stay safe. See ya. See ya.